Alright friends, hear this good news. For the first time, I realized that churches are essential workers or workplaces. And some of you are already laughing. Um, and I only, I don't want to, I don't want to get into all of that. I only want to say um, what, there are already hundreds of memes on social media that are saying the same thing of like, we've always known that we're essential. And we've always understood that the essential essence of a church has very little to, to do with gathering on a Sunday morning. That is an important part, but we talk about here how what we do on Sunday morning is only meant to connect us and form us so that we can go do the actual work of being this kind of presence in the world. And it's certainly true um, about us. Um, I did not need permission from anyone, though, you know, it's fine. I did not need permission from anyone to go ahead and start working again. Um, because the 60 plus hours a week that catapulted into existence as soon as the pandemic hit um, certainly seems like work to me and certainly seems like essential work. And I hope that we at least realize here whether or not it's prevalent on a large scale. Um, I hope we realize that the farmhouse has been doing good work this whole time. Um, a lot of the stuff that happened with the school district and lunches, um, with connecting people who had needs, with being with people who were sick, um, with still trying to have a presence with one another, um, and still exploring ideas and concepts and trying to connect even though we're all on screens like we've been doing this and we're going to keep doing what we have to do to be the church in the world hopefully at some point we are back together in the same room on sunday mornings and we're doing farmhouse sabbath again and we're allowing people to use our barn again um as a note on that i don't know when that will happen yet um i know that things have been declared that churches can begin meeting. Even the West Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church has given some guidelines of um, how to decide if you're ready to open back up. We are not currently, and some of that deals with the restrictions that have to be followed. Um, so hopefully we'll be making a decision on that in the next couple weeks. Um, but I don't see us gathering at least until uh, mid to late June possibly later, but I don't know. So feel free to inquire if I can give you more information about that, but just keep holding tight. Um, and we will, I promise we will be back at some point. Um, but that idea of the, the nature of the church and the, the essence of what we're a part of and what it means for us to do this kind of work that we're, we're engaged in actually has a lot to do with what we're going to be exploring today. Um, today, we are going to start some content concerning a topic called theodicy. And if you, if you are on camera or if you have access to chat, could you just let me know right now, um, is theodicy a word you're familiar with? And there's no judgment if you're not. It's a, it's a strange word. I honestly don't know whether or not that's something that people are, they, they know what it is or have heard of it before. Uh, that's going to be a no. 
<laughs> okay. A Don't couple, feel bad, either did I. <laughs> a couple yeses, a couple noes. Uh, anybody else have any, even if it's like a head nod or a head shake? Okay. Some noes. Um, heard it said before. Okay. Um, cool. So, so for the most part, not, not really. All right. Um, and that's okay because it, it, even if you've heard of it, there's still, it's such a deep and profound, um, concept that it, it'll be fun to flesh out, but I'll make sure that we try to explain it well. So at least, at least we know what we're talking about. Um, so I'll, I'll make sure we, we start with that. I'll, I'll, I'll start with that once we get going. Um, to begin our morning to get together, I wanted to just offer some uh, music and liturgy. Oh, no, no, no. Um, and this is just partly an attempt to, like, I think this is what we do well when we're in the same room together, is we have good experiences. And I know it's not nearly as good when we're on a computer. Um, but we wanted to try to have some semblance of like, this is, this is who we are. So um, we have a couple songs. I wanna do the Celtic creeds together. It's something we haven't done for a long time, but um, just looking through things, I was like, man, that, that's good. It, it, it feels appropriate, um, especially when we're talking about what does it mean for us to be a church and what is the church's role in the world? So we're gonna do that. We'll do the Lord's Prayer. So if you just want to kind of get into a, a comfortable state, that's fine. You just want to listen um, and follow along. I will have the, the lyrics and stuff up on the screen. So let me pull this up. Ever since I learned the howling wind I didn't need to go where a Bible went But then you know your gifts seemed heaven sent Just leave me to a college dad, that's the thing but I don't know how you house the sin Never sure how much of you I could let in. Won't you settle down, baby? He loves Ben. A heavenly father, it's definitely lava. Why don't you carry other names? Well, I heard about a day where it dropped the note. To go another day as we learn to close Cause I'm a known coward in a coward wind You turn around now and you count to ten Well I know now honey that I can pretend A heavenly Father, who's brought to his order, man, love is in the end. I 
Chopping the paper all these years Filling up holes with all these fears Well, I know about it, darling, I've been standing here The Heavenly Father is all that He offers His safety Fever all these years. Filling up holes with all these fears. Well, I know about it, darling. I've been standing here. Heavenly Father is all that He offers. His safety in the end. So this is the Celtic Creed. So I'll read this. If you'd like to follow along, that's fine. We believe in God above us, maker and sustainer of all life, of sun and moon, of water and earth, of male and female. We believe in God beside us, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, born of a woman, servant of the poor, tortured, and nailed to a tree. A man of sorrows, he died forsaken. He descended into the earth to the place of death. On the third day, he rose from the tomb. He ascended into heaven to be everywhere present, and his kingdom will come on earth. We believe in God within us, the Holy Spirit of Pentecostal fire, life-giving breath of the church, spirit of healing and forgiveness, source of resurrection and of eternal life. Amen. All creatures of our God and King Lift up your voice and with us sing Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Thou burning sun with golden beam, now silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise Him! Oh, praise Him! Hallelujah, Hallelujah.
for the Lord to hear. Oh, praise you. Hallelujah. Now, Father, so masterful and bright, that givest man both warmth and light. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Let's pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. We're going to have a conversation, and uh, Amy's going to actually be kind of guiding this conversation, similar to how a farmhouse conversation would work. And uh, But I wanted to start with making sure that I properly described theodicy. I don't know if that was... That was one of my questions that I was going to ask you. So we'll just... What is theodicy? We'll just start with, what is theodicy? (laughs) Like me, who have only heard this word maybe a few months ago. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess I'm surprised by that. Um, Not a bad thing. I know a lot of you said, you know, I'm not really sure what that is. Um, I I guess I just assumed that it was a common common phrase. The way that we're going to do this is similar to how um, I would do discipleship with folks. And that's kind of actually how this came up. So um, part of my class structure is I had to do a, a pretty lengthy uh, project studying the depths of theodicy. And so I've been immersed in that world for a while. Um, it's also a concept that's very important to me. Um, something that I have I've said in those academic settings is I'm 30 years old. I've done more tragic funerals than I think most people have had to be around at my age. And I'm not trying to see, say that I've seen more tragedy than people. I'm just saying I've done more funerals that have been the result of tragedy and have included immense suffering than I was prepared to do. And so I got uh, hurtled into this world and asking these kinds of questions. Um, and I've had to see them practically unfold in, in real time with folks. So the way this is going to be with discipleship is often what will happen is, is whoever the, the person going through the process is, They usually bring questions in that they want to explore more. And as I've been immersed in this, that's happened with with Amy, where she's kind of going like, I I want to understand this more. Like, what do we do with all of this? And so I'm kind of sitting here as I've explored the information. Amy, though, is going to guide us all through that um, 
unless you guys want to be here all day, because I could probably go all day on this. So she's, she's going to refine the content down to something that's a little bit more palatable. Um, so that, that's going to kind of be the structure. And then, and then after we explore a little bit together, you'll listen in on that. And then we want to open that up so that we can all engage in conversation. And I know we normally do that. And you all sit there and stare at me. Um, but I actually want you to, to bring some questions in because there's so much in this. We're not going to cover it all. And I, I, I want to be able to speak specifically to what you all are thinking. So um, let's, let me try to explain theodicy real quick. Theodicy is a philosophical pursuit that is specific to Christian theology and, and other, other religions as well. Um, I think most, most major religions are asking this question to some degree. The problem with theodicy, and it's posed as a problem, so it's not necessarily a good thing. It's called the problem of theodicy, is that God exists, okay? And we're going to say that God is all-powerful, and God is all good, but there's suffering and evil. How do we make sense of those things? If God is all-powerful and God is all-good, why is there suffering and why is there evil? So that's a dilemma that we have to figure out how we're going to answer because it has serious implications on, on how we live. So um, my perspective is that there is a theodicy for the world. And it has implications that are both theoretical, like abstract in your head, um, but also has very practical ramifications as well. So what is theodicy? How do we respond to suffering? Um, and particularly, I think the book of Lamentations is the ideal way to engage with this question. So that's a little bit about, did that sufficiently answer for you, theodicy, or is there anything I'm leaving out? I think, no, I don't, I don't think you've quite covered. Well, I guess so. Yeah, the, to me, the question is, um, then why does God allow suffering? Is what theodicy is about. It's the theory or the, the question of why does God allow suffering? And then the, lots and lots of people have spent years and years of their lives trying to understand this over probably the spectrum of when people started first thinking about God is then why do I suffer? Yeah. And my question that I want to start with is, okay, we know that suffering exists in the world. And I would even say that to a certain extent, some kind, without suffering, there wouldn't be life. Because suffering involves, for example, if you're hungry, you seek food. And this is for animals, humans, whatever. And so in that way, you continue to live. But we're talking about a specific kind of suffering here, correct? So my, my question is more about what do we mean by the kind of suffering? We're talking about human suffering. And what do we really want to say about that? Okay, so... What I would invite all of you to do is just think for a minute when you think of suffering, what comes to mind? So when was the last time you suffered? And this will help you kind of start putting together what you, how you understand suffering. When was the last time you suffered? Um, what was the last form of suffering that you saw outside of yourself? And do you think that suffering is prevalent? So I would say that suffering is a universal experience. Absolutely. 
that it's it's a common form of human life. Now, what you said about a necessary part is interesting. And I don't get into that too much. And I think it does depend on how you how you understand suffering, whether you're going to say it's necessary or not. Um, so uh, let me let me actually define okay. suffering yeah, be, yeah. real quick. Because, yeah, it seems to me that to a certain extent it's built into okay. creation. So the way that I would articulate suffering, and this actually comes from uh, Carrie Dowling, who is a psychologist and, um, but also a theologian. So she, she brings a, a unique perspective into it. So suffering is the result of our attachment to material, to expectations, to relationships, um, and to life. So we have an attachment, and then we lose those attachments, and suffering results. So suffering and grief and loss are kind of synonymous, or, or they at least they at least function um, together. Now, but what's interesting about suffering is there's a lot of very common universal human experience. So, like I, I talk about laughter, mm-hmm. common universal experience, love, uh, feeling love for someone or something or experiencing love, that's a pretty common human experience, right? What makes suffering kind of have a different edge to that is suffering is painful, mm-hmm. and it often is or appears to be destructive and can be very paralyzing, okay? So when you're thinking about how you've suffered, what are, what are things that you've lost? And, and the easiest one to put this in is people. Um, like when you, lose, when you lose a person, um, that causes suffering. That's an attachment that you've lost. What we don't normally consider is how this also deals with um, like life cycles and expectations um, or relational ups and downs or even material goods. So um, somebody loses their house, uh, that's suffering. That causes grief and loss. Um, Or you this is going to be a very trite uh, and possibly non-helpful thing. But when you start getting gray hair in your 20s, there's some suffering there, right? Because there's an expectation and then an understanding that a, uh, a life cycle is changing, and that means the loss of something else. So really suffering and change become synonymous. And this is where you could say that suffering is a necessary part because in order for any of those things to change, in order for you to not be hungry, you have to be hungry. In in order for you to grow and develop, it's going to involve loss. Mm -hmm. Change always involves loss. Suffering is usually a pretty pretty big part of, of change. So I do think it's important to start with how suffering is universal. Right. And then maybe you could say what separates human suffering from the suffering of perhaps animals or other things is that they don't fret about the future. They don't worry. Mm-hmm. Like when you see your gray hair, you think I'm getting older now. You can see your own death in the future. Animals mm-hmm. don't think that way. So we're talking about this human experience of suffering yeah. as a thing where we let go of attachments because or we have attachments and then we try to let go of them because we, we see the world that way we think about it. And so then what do you think that has to, to do with um, us as the image of God, do you think that that okay. has, speaks to the nature of God then, that we well, are the ones who can look at it that way? So what you had said before about suffering has always been a problem, right? 
mm-hmm. and it has been. And since we have writing, we have people trying to figure out the existence of suffering. Um, if you read a lot of the, the classical philosophers, so Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, um, and, and a lot of those, those ancient philosophies, they're writing about this problem too. Um, and a lot of projections have been put forth since people have been thinking about it. Since people have been suffering, which I assume is always, uh, and since people have been uh, able to write those thoughts, thoughts down, we can see that this has been a conversation. Oh uh, yeah, but we don't have we don't have <laughs> no, we don't know of course proof, yeah. but I'm sure it, it goes on forever. But we can see people articulating theories about this right since writings have been around. Um, the problem is theism. Yeah. So suffering is a problem in and of itself. As soon as you enter in belief in it, in in when I and I'm going to use the word transcendence a lot. And when I say transcendence, if you want to substitute the word God there, that's fine. Um, but when we leave it at transcendence, then we're able to say any kind of theism is going to have the same problem. Um, and, and I do particularly think that the Christian response is a good one and the best one, in my opinion. Um, but I'm going to say transcendence a lot. That's not meant to offend you if you're wanting me to say God. Um, uh, yeah. So the uh, one of the things that I think is important for this then is going, as soon as you enter in a deity, mm-hmm. now you not only have to ask what's going on with suffering, you have to figure out why would this deity, why would transcendence allow it? So if you take on the name Christian, you do have a problem on your hands. And you might consider that it's a very easy question to answer, but you have to go, what do we do with suffering? Why would God allow this to be possible? Um, do you want me to keep going or do you want to? No, I, I guess, except, sure, that sounds good. Just that if we were supposed to be in the image of God uh-huh. and we see suffering this way or we deal with it, then does that mean that God suffers as well? Maybe we want to cover that a little bit later. In that, the next. that will come up. We might be jumping ahead a little bit too much here. Yeah, that, that okay. will, that will yeah, come let's up. Let's stick but, to right now. What does that say about yeah, that, the nature let's stick of God's with, suffering uh, even exists? Let's stick with the problem of, of okay. theodicy. Um, and and if, again, if we were to describe this, I do wish that I would have uh, written this up because you can, you can classify the, you can easily see the problem here. So I'm going to use my hands. The first thing is that we're going to say that a transcendent God is all-powerful. Now, you can argue against that, and there have been uh, theologians who have. Um, so, so one of the ideas is that God's not actually all-powerful. God's all good, but, you know, suffering crept in because God couldn't stop it. Uh, as you keep following that rabbit trail down into, into theology, you go, Ooh, that doesn't really work. Philosophically, it doesn't really work, at least for me. Um, but theologically, that says something significant about God if we're saying God, God isn't all-powerful with this. So all, God, God's all-powerful. God is all-good. And this, is, this adds a, another complication, because if God's only all-powerful, then it's actually quite easy to see why suffering exists. Because 
God caused it. And God he doesn't care. Doesn't care right. if He's you a suffer. Jerk, in other words. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, uh, and we don't want to very, think that. So yeah. a very less uh, <laughs> less theological way of putting it. Yes. So if God's just all powerful, then sure, God can cause suffering. And uh, now God's the angry being up in the sky, smiting people with lightning bolts. And so you suffer, and you only hold that God's all powerful, and you go, nothing I can do. God wanted it this way. Um, and to show you how prevalent this idea still is. Consider the last time you were in a tra tragic situation or at a tragic funeral and somebody said, everything happens for a reason. That is a theodicy that considers God is all powerful and does not consider the second part that God is all good. So as soon as you enter in that second part of it, that God is all good, now you have this dilemma of why would a good God allow because god's all powerful suffering to exist because it does so so those are the assumptions you got to work with. Right. god's all powerful god's all good suffering mm -hmm. exists and and there's there's the problem right and then but there are some people i understand who think that well yes but god's a lot god allows suffering so that people can um learn to become better mm -hmm. so it's like he's a good god but he allows suffering in order for humans to develop is it uh, yeah, the Odyssey that which you would ascribe, or let's let's hold off because what we can do is we can uh, just paint all of the common sure. theodicies. Okay. There's a lot of technical names for the different theories that exist, and um, you probably know them. You just don't know the names for them, um, and the names are whatever the the concepts are. What's important, and you've probably heard a lot of these before. Um, but I do think as Christians, this is particularly a problem for, for, for us. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't find a lot of satisfaction in a lot of the answers that are given. So I do think that we need to come up with a better, a better theodicy. And again, let me, let me pull this back into this is important to me because of my experience. Is I've had to sit with families who have lost people in really tragic ways. A lot of you know uh, Tyler Sen um, and, and his parents. He's a two and a half year old child and he just died a few weeks ago. How you understand the problem of the Odyssey impacts how you interact with that family. And it impacts how that family understands their place in the world and how they're going to respond to suffering. And so what I want to start with is Theodicy is only important insofar as it helps us respond to suffering that is inevitable. Um, theodicy as a philosophical game, it's fine. I, I think it's part of that's necessary. But my goal is how do we respond to suffering? I don't want to solve the problem of theodicy just to solve the puzzle. I want to interact with theodicy so that we can respond to the suffering that's going to happen to us all the time. Um, and I, I think that's why this is important as mm -hmm. Christians, is because we have to be able to exist within suffering in a way that actually helps people move forward. So part of the, some of the things you have to do is you have to go, what is a proper response to suffering? Mm -hmm. um, what is the goal of that response? And then how do we do it? So um, yeah, where do you want to go? Yeah, sure, because that? I would say that the way you see God is the way you're going to respond to your own suffering. 
and then mm-hmm. perhaps even in the way that you suffer depends upon in, in that kind of a cyclic way depends on how you see god so you might you might frame your suffering in a different way if you see god in a different light whether you see mm-hmm. him as a, as a cruel being or whether you're seeing as not existing at all or as you're seeing as a comforting being or perhaps one that is just not helpful so okay. you know it's going to change how you deal with that so yeah, we got to try to figure this out. So let's uh, let's give play the hand of one of my perspectives here, which is how do we respond to suffering? Mm-hmm. And what's important in this, and this kind of comes from I, I'm not a, a psychological expert. I do not have a degree in psychology. I don't have a lot of training in it. I have some. I'm more of a fan of psychology, um, but there's a lot of agreement that psychologically interacting with, with suffering, even on a therapeutic level, is that suffering involves the whole person. Okay, um, I have a quote. No, it's not a quote. It's a notation. Um, he wrote 43 pages on this, everyone, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also playing my hand, I do have a very lengthy piece of writing that I had to do for school. I'm in the process of making it less nerdy. <laughs> and I will, sh- I will share that when it's done for people who want to dive further into some of these things. Um, but uh, here, I'll, I'll read this. So responding to suffering requires the whole person involving beliefs and emotions, but also including the social, spiritual, existential, and mental domains of the sufferer. As suffering inhibits the integrity of a whole person, this response must collaborate the whole person's integration. Okay? So when you experience suffering, the goal is healing and restoration. Okay? So you lose, uh, you have an attachment, you lose that attachment, it, uh, it causes a cataclysm with your whole person, and putting that back together in a new way responding to suffering the goal is that you find healing and restoration and liberation but the important part psychologically is that it involves your whole person so in whatever response you're going to have it's going to involve your whole person Mm -hmm. and this is why i think the philosophy of theodicy is important but so is the response um and that's kind of what you're saying is that what you think about the world and how you understand God is going to help inform how you respond and how you respond is going to help you understand God and how you think about the world. So it is kind of the cycle, but you need theory and you need practice. You know, you need the theology, but you also need the ethics. You need the, you need the behavior of it too. Um, I'll, uh, I'll read this quote. This comes from a theological side. Um, well, I'll just, I'll, it's kind of a long quote. I won't read it. But the idea with theology in any, I, uh, I think this is important that anytime you're interacting with theology, most theologians, the, theologians, theologians throughout history have agreed that the theology is the means to an end, which is behavior, ethics, how you live. So theology only exists for you to practice that theology. So you think about things, you seek, um, you have faith, so you seek to understand so that you can live in a particular way. That's the same with suffering, right? Um, 
you have to think about this in a particular way so that you can, you can actually engage with it. So as you can probably guess, I'm not very inclined to the uh, mental stimulation of people just talking about ideas. I don't really care for it. I think that how you understand the world is important and you should constantly learn and explore and grow and see. But all of that is, um, it only exists so that you can do it. Mm -hmm. um, so I've used the quote before of like moving information from your head to your hands. Mm -hmm. That's the bold goal of theology, that through your head, through your comprehension, you can do things um, with your hands. There is... And then to see people too, other people from an empathic or empathetic point of view, you know, the more you understand these things, then you can then understand how people suffer, what we can do about it. Yeah. Uh, now, but what also can be said is you can respond to suffering without the theoretical satisfaction. Sure. You, you can't respond to suffering with only theoretical satisfaction. You need both. Um, there's a quote that I had. Yeah, so this comes from uh, Richard Platinga. The liability, certainly, of any intellectual discussion of evil is that it can trivialize the pain and present suffering, as it, as it is indeed an experiential or existential answer to this problem for which we yearn and that alone could satisfy. But we cannot avoid an intellectual discussion of the issue, especially since the question arises so naturally and inevitably in the course of honest theological reflection on God and creation. And so what Platinga is saying is that simply when you experience suffering, your first question is why? And you, you seek for that intellectual satisfaction. You seek for the, the theory and the theology to help make sense of things. And so because it's a part of the process, we should honor it but also because it can help us. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I do make that case because I think talking about theodicy can be helpful. And I've seen what happens when we don't talk about it, is we end up responding to suffering poorly. Or if we have theoretical satisfaction and a theology that purports a very crazy view of the world and of God, it has a lot of damaging effects on how we respond to suffering. You know, if you think that God is evil, that's going to shape how you interact with this. If you think that God caused your suffering, then you're much less likely to pursue healing. What can also happen is if we're, if we're going like, oh, no, all the suffering is just God's fault. You know, God's doing this to us for some divine purpose. Well, we're more likely then to further suffering because we go, oh, it's just God's doing this. Right. So I can kill that person because, you know, God ordained it. Right. And it, allow, it can spin out of control really fast, uh, the way that we can justify suffering. Or blame people. It's like, well, they brought that on themselves because they were X, Y, Z kind of person. Or they did yeah. X, Y, Z kind of thing. Uh, which and is, that's, it's victim blame. Yeah. And then becomes a thing where, yeah. Mm -hmm. So becomes, so we'll say. It's their own fault. Yeah. yeah. And this actually comes up in the Book of Lamentations. And we'll get to that eventually um, in, in a couple weeks. But it's, we're going you, you behaved like this, mm -hmm. therefore you deserve this. Right. And now I don't have to help you, and I don't care whether or not you find your way out of this. Yeah. So, again, your, the way you approach the Odyssey can have all sorts of implications on you. But let's focus on the response to, to suffering. Um, 
So we talked about how it involves the whole person. So yes. whatever, you're going to need the theory, but it also is going to involve every part of your body, every part of your being. Um, but there's also a way that we can formulate a healthy response to suffering. Um, and I, you, you kind of broke that down into reactive, proactive. Yes. Is that kind of how you... Um, right. Yeah. You can do the negative blaming someone for something that's happened to you or trying to get revenge for it, you know, or, and this, this came from, um, uh, maybe it was during okay. in the paper that you wrote, she, she had that response to suffering. What is the human response to suffering? And usually we can either be reactive where it's like, well, you yeah. know, we sit down we just go, I don't know why this happened, but I'm going to get revenge on that person. Or I'm going to blame, you know, outside circumstances, or we can have that healthy view of what's the resolution to this? How can I find healing in this? What can I use? And sometimes maybe learn what I use from this to help other people when they encounter this particular kind of suffering themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we can think of COGS. It's like, you know, we know what happened there. And, and so now he has created the situation where he feels that women then can protect themselves. So right. that's a way that he had a healthy response to something that tragic that happened. Okay. And this kind of goes too with the comment that uh, Chantel wrote, which is trying to articulate what we do with suffering. Um, so what, what Amy's talking about is there are, here, here's what I'll start with. There's always a response to suffering. There's no such thing as a non-response, okay? So the question is not whether or not you're going to respond, it's whether or not you're going to respond healthily or unhealthily. So this is broken down into two categories. So the one is proactive and the other is reactive. Um, reactive response to suffering is uh, and you had you had named some blame, mm -hmm. denial, um, avoidance, revenge. revenge. Those are ways of trying to trying to deflect the suffering and find some sort of satisfaction that doesn't actually deal with the real issue. Proactive is the one that fully enters the experience, embraces it, and confronts what happens so as to change things positively. Okay, so that's reactive versus proactive. Now, proactive response to suffering is what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the invitation to conflict. Okay, so this is kind of what Chantel brought up in her comment, um, which is that suffering seems a part of how good things happen. Certainly so. Um, that's what happens when you take a situation and you see it as an opportunity to change things better than they were than before this thing happened. Mm -hmm. The thing you got to be careful with though, is diminishing suffering in the process. Right. And so if you go like, well, you know, this is just for your own good. That, that can be applicable in some situations. Take that to its logical end though. It, it can only be true. Absolutely true. If you can apply it in every situation. So think of the person you love the most Let's remove them from your life permanently. And then I will say, everything happens for a reason. This is for your own good. How do you feel? It doesn't work. Okay. Either you can maybe get theoretical satisfaction out of that. You will not get existential satisfaction out of that. You have to be able to confront the loss and deal with it. And this is what we talk about with like scars and wounds and letting those wounds be a part of your story 
Otherwise, you're going to end up like the Black Knight on Monty Python and the Holy Grail, who just pretends like there's no problem. There, there it is. Reactive yeah. response yeah, to suffering there. is the there's Black Knight on Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> that's, if you need an example of what that is, that's, that's reactive, okay? Proactive is the opposite of that. So there are those two responses to suffering. So what we have to do in the question of theodicy is go, what theological take on this problem, remember all powerful, all good suffering exists, what, what theological take can we have that gives us intellectual satisfaction, that helps us make sense of the world and allows us to then respond, and then what is the practical satisfaction for how we actually do this? That's the question that we have to ask. I think we'll, we'll stop the content here. Next week, we'll look at common theodicies. Is that what we, yeah. we're going to do? Mm-hmm. Yep, we've got common theodicies. We'll, we'll look at the history and why are they helpful or not. Okay, so, so next, helpful next week, what we'll do is we'll look at each of the main common theories on this, and we'll break them down a little bit. The third week, we'll offer a different... Uh, theological perspective on suffering of solving the we're going to try to solve the problem of all powerful all good suffering exists um, in a way that's different than the theodicies we're going to talk about and then the fourth week we're going to bring in the book of lamentations and see how that shows us the theoretical and practical satisfaction that we're looking for Um, and so i'd even recommend in this time you know this will take us there'll be three more weeks of this in this time, if you want to read Lamentations, go for it. Uh, be careful, <laughs> because you are dealing with uh, a, a very fragile, difficult text. Um, and just know, like, I, I get really excited about exploring that. So let's stop here. Let's uh, bring you all into the conversation. Um, what are questions, thoughts, concerns, ideas? Um, responses that you have just for the stuff that we've covered so far. And if you ask something that I think we're going to ca- uh, capture in the coming weeks, I would say, like, hey, we're, we'll get to that. So what are some responses and thoughts from you all? It's a scary topic. It is. A sc- and you can certainly mm-hmm. chime in there, too. Tyler, remember a couple weeks ago when I was talking about, um, I think I struggled with, um, I, don't, I don't know, I guess animosity about the fact that I didn't like the design of life. Like I simply didn't like that. We, um, to become stronger, you have to rip muscle, you know, and um, to uh, become more intelligent or to grow your IQ, you have to um, go through like learning experiences. And a lot of times learning experiences mean you have to make mistakes and you learn from your mistakes. Like you can learn from researching or you can make a mistake and then analyze the mistake and go through, you know, all, all of what is involved. And so when I think about what you're talking about, um, I think about just because I'm an artist, I think about that I can't really create anything unless I destroy other things. So 
something that so, so every time I'm like, I'm getting ready to teach my kids how to create a design out of recycled products. So I'm taking something that had a purpose before and it becomes a new purpose and a new design. And so it's really hard for me to create anything new that wasn't already used or wasn't destroyed to become something new. And so um, what you're talking about is I don't, I think I have to, the animosity falls away um, when I realize that there's just varying degrees of suffering and I don't like the really bad ones. Like I'm, I, I just don't, I, I'm really suffering right now because I have a, my best friends that I've known since I was 10, um, her 10 year old accidentally walked in front of a car and passed away on Christmas Eve. And I don't know how to respond. All I, all I can do is just be there. Yeah. And multiple times she has said, um, she said, no one understands me. And I'm trying so hard to understand, but I don't. So I keep doing these things. Like I helped her get an insurance claim. I helped her, like, I keep trying to figure out how to help. But sometimes there's just the suffering that, that I, I can't, I can't see how it can become something beautiful. And that's what really, right. um, that that's what really becomes bothersome, but I do understand. So yeah, I guess that's and, what I'm saying. And the problem, Chantel, is in uh, so in in how you're breaking up. Like there's varying degrees of suffering. I would I would push back on that a little bit um, to say that yeah, there might there might be there certainly are right in in lived experience, but you have to be careful deciding which ones are at which degrees because for different people um they're all over the place you know one of the things that book of lamentations is going to do is it's going to be this woman saying has anyone su suffered like my suffering and the the poetic expression there is no and we're not going to be able to dictate how good or bad it is or how less bad or terrible it is because it's yours and you're suffering, there is nothing like it. And you need to be able to say that. I, the only thing I can do is imagine that it can't get any worse than this. Now, practically, we might be like, oh, of course it could be worse than that. Like, oh, it, look how good you have it. That's not helpful in the context of suffering. Um, but we all, when we stick with those lower degrees of suffering, we want to yearn for a divine purpose in them. And some is easy to find, right? Like, with stuff that seems like small conflict or what you're talking about with art. Like, oh, look, there seems to be a purpose here in that something was lost and it made something else beautiful. What we have to decide is if that purpose is ordained or not, right? And we have to then go, the, the experience of suffering, is this a puppet master in the sky or is it something else? Now, I am guessing that the way I'm speaking right now, you can assume that I think it's something else. And I would argue for that. But before, any, before you even go into that ground, you do have to start with the question of like, why is this here? Right? The, this, this small child died. There doesn't seem to be a divine purpose for that. And if we claim that there is one, 
we've now diminished suffering. And while on the surface, it might be like, well, they just need to get over it and see the divine purpose. I actually think that if you push far enough into the role of suffering in the world, you see that honoring the unspeakableness of the suffering is important. I think it actually accomplishes one of the goals in responding in a proactive way. Um, and so I would just real practically, like you always just have to leave room for grief and realize that some people grieve differently. There's intuitive grieving and there's instrumental grieving. And then there's people who do both at the same time. And you have to leave room for grief. Um, we'll hopefully explain why that's important later. Um, but that sounds like a cataclysmic moment. And so I, I feel obliged to give you as much as I can to help with that. Um, unfortunately, I've been on the listening side of that conversation a lot. And therefore, I take this probably more seriously than um, I would have otherwise. I don't know if you, I, I don't honestly remember if there was a question in there or if that was just a thought. And if there was a question, if I even answered it, I don't, I don't know. That was a nice interaction, though, so I appreciate it. Um, Kelsey wrote, can someone suffer from the loss of something they never had? An example could be not having a relationship with a family member that one has desired to for some time. Does suffering look the same, or is it shaped differently? It's definitely shaped differently, um, but our... I don't think there's a whole lot of satisfaction in trying to figure out what the different suffering shapes are as much as naming that suffering has happened. What you're talking about is uh, what would fit into the expectations loss in that it's one thing to lose a family member um, or to have a conflict that you no longer see a family member before. Um, let, me, let me frame this a little bit differently, Kelsey, for people who have always anticipated having a child and then either never do or find out they can't, right? That is definitely a form of suffering. Now, that's a little bit different than what you're talking about, um, but it's the same thing of an idea of the future doesn't happen or can't happen. That's a loss. Even if it's mostly mental and emotional, that's still a loss. Now, especially if there's a physical part of that, right? Um, and so eh, that, I was going to use Vanessa as an example, but th that doesn't really work here um, because there was a previous relationship. But, uh, uh, you know, so my sister is an example. Uh, my sister's adopted, and she was given away um, when she was a newborn. So she has no idea who her parents are, her biological parents. And because of the, she's from India and there was nothing really to indicate this process, she probably never will. That's suffering because that is grieving a loss, even if it's just something that exists in your head that hasn't happened, right? So does that answer what you're, okay. It's definitely suffering and it needs to be treated as such. You were going to say something. Yeah, just that I was going to say that suffering can also be that void of um, wishing for something that didn't happen as much as it can be. And I think it's kind of like what you were saying to Chantal. There's no way of 
rating suffering or saying someone's suffering is worse because you can almost have a sense of guilt about what do I have to suffer for? I have everything. I have X, Y, Z. You know, if you look at your life from the outside, it might look really good. And yet you may have your own kinds of suffering and to, and to compare them is, is not helpful, I guess would be the best way to say yes. to compare any kind of suffering is not helpful. It's your unique experience. And you can certainly experience a sense of, of, of loss of something you never had is as much as something you had and lost. Yeah. So, you know, I'd say they're just different kinds of it. Yeah. It's, and, it can't really and be again, that, rated. that comes up uh, in a lot of psychological research and in the book of Lamentations is that comparing suffering is a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. Please don't do it. Um, and that's, that's on one hand, if you're dealing with somebody who's suffering and you say like, well, just imagine it could have been like this. Right. No, 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 no. Don't start there <clears throat> because now we just lost something to their process. That's important. Right. And maybe even added guilt to it. And maybe even maybe added guilt to it. Um, but now, and this kind of goes with what Tracy wrote um, about not having suffered a lot. And there's two things I want to say about that. <laughs> One of them deals with what you just brought up is you can be okay with saying my suffering is not as bad. You can c- compare your suffering mm-hmm. um, and how you've experienced it, especially if you're going, you know, I don't have a lot of suffering. Um, as long as you're not saying that in a, um, what's the right, in like a prideful way. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's where like, like I'm say, better than you. Yeah, it's like, well, your suffering is because you make bad decisions and I don't yeah. have to suffer because, because I think it happens But to now you. you're yeah. bringing in their suffering in comparison right. to your yes, own. again, you're comparing. If you're just saying, this is, this is my experience. I, I haven't suffered a whole lot. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But you're also fair to be like, my experience right now in this moment where I'm feeling depressed feels like a form of yeah. suffering. And that's all right. Don't, don't, please do not worry about comparing that to other people's. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to do that. We've all suffered though. Um, and, but here's the other point I want to make about what you're saying, Tracy, is that I think, let me see if you actually... You, do, you don't use this phrase, so I'm going to put this phrase into your words. Don't say my suffering as much. Definitely if it's part of the process, but especially if you haven't suffered a lot. Um, suffering, in my opinion, is collective. Okay, so think about what Carrie Doreen yeah. said, is that it involves the whole person, and you as a person naturally affect the people around you and you share in their suffering. Whether or not you're experiencing it physically, emotionally, mentally, you are experiencing it are, and are a part of it and are now responsible to it. Mm-hmm. So um, when, you know, you saw this when uh, Sierra Joggin was, was killed out in the Evergreen community. Why did people respond the way they did? Were they just trying to be um, uh, philanthropic, right? They're just trying to be generous. Um, or was it because somehow they also felt that suffering? And figuring out how that happens is complicated. Um, but even uh, what we saw with our, our friend Rusty Carr is we're going the best thing I can do is not go like, oh, that's his suffering and this is my suffering. It's he's experiencing this suffering in a specific way and I'm a part of it and I need to do something. I need to enter into this suffering. Again, 
We're going to see this in the book of Lamentations. This is what happens. This is how Lamentations articulates the response to suffering. Um, and we'll get there. We'll cover that in more detail later. What else? Any, anything that was brought up that you were like, hey, what, what about this? Uh, Amy alluded to the fact that I have uh, 45 pages of written material. I can go all day. Like, <laughs> there are certainly things that we skipped, and I'd be fine with diving into. I only want to do that, though, if it's something that you want more. I don't want to bore you. Uh, are you talking about the content, Tracy? I'm guessing, I'm guessing so. Are they divided? Oh, into four parts, because you always do that. You always divide your writing into four parts. <laughs> no, this was like 20. <laughs> More than four parts. Get off my back. You can turn it down to four parts, though, Tracy. Take my word for it. Um, the uh, to, to Butch, I I am I I'm going to guess so that it'll be covered. Um, so again, what we're going to do next week is we'll look at the the various uh, theodicies that have existed over time, especially within Christianity. Um, there's again again there's a lot more, but the ones that are the most common are the ones that came out of like the 18th through 20th century. Um, but again, people have been asking this question for millennia, right? Um, and then after that, we're going to dive into a perspective on God and free will and providence and uh, morality and suffering that I think fits into a, a healthier response. Um, and then after the, the final week, we'll, we'll look at lamentation. So um, I don't know if that helps place whether or not what you're thinking will will be covered later um or or not um kelsey said it's a very intriguing topic i think and i don't know if i'm not sure if it's an intriguing topic or not or um in my thoughts this is a very intriguing topic i don't know what you meant kelsey uh so i'm just going to assume that you think this is vastly important and uh, affirm its uh, elevation in theological conversation. Um, and I'm going to reiterate again, uh, we, we don't have to cover this material. I think we would be remiss if we don't. I think we will fail to engage with the world healthily if we do not talk about this. Um, and I only push for that because I have seen how terrible a bad theology on this can can be and the problems it can cause people like real living people that i care and love uh so i think we need to i you know it's it's interesting yeah but like no we need to and i would love to say like the folks at the farmhouse know how to interact with suffering because we take it seriously right um, and I do also think it has implications for what's going on now, because you do have to, you do have to ask, like, so did God cause this? People have died, right? People die from disease and illness and pandemic and catastrophe all the time. So why? How did that happen? 
Um, and based on how you answer that question, you get a good idea of what you think God is like and what you think God is like will impact the very world that we create. So, you know, we're obligated to, to consider this. Um, one thing that I bring up in the, in, in the content is that is the experience of Eli Weisel, um, who wrote Night, which is a pretty seminal book that comes from uh, the Holocaust. And then uh, Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, that was also written about a Holocaust experience. And both of them um, talk about the failure of theodicy in their experience and how it diminished their suffering. Um, and uh, Weisel, do you, do you pronounce the, with the German W there? Yeah. Okay, Weisel... Um, which is spelled W-I-E-S-E-L. Um, he wrote a play about um, the Holocaust where different um, Jewish people were putting God on trial to explain why the Holocaust would happen. They were looking for a theodicy. And various people offer all of these arguments throughout the play. And as the play goes on, you find that none of them are sufficient. None of them are working. None of them are, are giving satisfaction to the problem of suffering. And at the end of the play, the person who's been offering all of these uh, explanations was wearing a mask the whole time. And at the end of the play, that person takes off their mask and it's Satan. And the person trying to explain away suffering was Satan the whole time. And you got to remember that comes out of a lived experience of suffering that we would say is one of the most terrible in recent memory. And the author is saying, you, you can't just wash over this. You can't just offer nice and easy explanations. And um, so that, that's another reason why this, I think this is so important and, and should be a part of it. Sure. And, talking about Viktor Frankl, he was the one who asked that question. You can endure anyhow if you know the why. And yeah. this is why you kind of need to understand this so that it helps you to, to deal with some of those things. Yes. And that was a very formative book. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you have a why, you can bear almost anyhow. Yes, that's how he put it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not to say that if you have an explanation for why your suffering exists, right. you'll know the right things to do. It's if, if you can think about the way this works in the world now you're able to use your whole person to respond to it so that's a way of i think articulating um that any other thoughts questions uh things you want to emphasize more the book of job and the book of lamentations that part is the uh, theoretical yeah, part i was going to say he sounds like he's drawing more from job there than oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh wise yeah, is sure. he's that's based off of the book of job because he's got the friends and they all try to explain God in different ways. Mm -hmm. and none of which, them really are good. Which if you, that, that easy explanation of the suffering, read Job chapter one and hidden within the writing, rabbis uh, argue that the, the actual reasoning for suffering is hidden right there in chapter one, but you have to look for it. Um, so bonus points, extra credit to anybody who finds that. Um, I'm not going to give the answer here. All right. Anything else? Conversation here was about consequences and owning consequences of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, 
and um, rather than talk about them as deserved. Rather than talk, yes, rather than talking about them as being deserved. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the way you separated that's important. I'm going to push for you can consider consequences in your own narrative and in any narrative where you have been given permission and authority to speak to it. Otherwise, I, I don't think it's fair to even paint the consequences part on other folks. But we talked about this before with theodicy. We, we had a segment called theodicy and judgments or like coronavirus theodicy and judgment or something like that before Easter. Um, and there, a, a huge biblical theme is natural consequences, right? Where God says, you know, if you don't take care of your fields, uh, <clears throat> your fields aren't going to grow anything. Just making sure we point out the obvious there. And then Israel doesn't do that. And of course it happens. Um, so I do think that the natural consequences is much better language than deserved, particularly because it doesn't place um, responsibility on God in the, in the sense that God ordained that, <coughs> if that makes sense. Um, it, yeah. it, leaves, it leaves a lot of room for God to still be uh, present within the midst of it. Um, and that, and that kind of brings up two. So I already said transcendence is a word that I'll use a lot. The other one is imminence. Um, so transcendence is simply that there is a being that transcends um, human experience, um, human consciousness, etc. So God, but also that that transcendent being is present within lived experience. That's called imminence. So those are two words that you should probably be familiar with is transcendence and imminence, because that's a huge part of how Christianity articulates um, God, is that God is both transcendent and imminent. God is both beyond and with. Um, so in that, the, the consequences language, Mike, um, leaves room for transcendence and imminence pretty well. Uh, it seems like among the things that we do it is we push responsibility for consequences off on God, however it is that we define who God is. And do that as a way of avoiding our own responsibility. Yeah. Now, again, I will always hesitate to bring up that conversation in a place that I don't have the authority to do so. And, and I'm not saying that you would. Um, I just think that's something that's important to be clear about. Um, and with what we know about the grieving process, that comes up eventually, right? It, okay, now, so what do we do? But it does have to begin with like, hey, throw your fist in the air, yell, scream, even if the whole time we know like, Hey, you, you had a part in this. And, and certainly we always do. Um, oh, I, what was, oh, what I was going to say, though, is there, there is a part of this that's interesting within uh, classical metaphysics uh, or like the ancient philosophers, uh, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, etc., is they talk about determinism in a way that's different than what we do in that based on the decisions that you have made, you have now determined 
the likelihood of certain causes, right? And this kind of makes sense within what you're talking about with responsibility, Mike, that um, when you have, if you, if you've shaped the, the image I use is if you've shaped your, your life a certain way, you will roll down a hill according to the shape that you've created. And it's pretty obvious how you'll roll down the hill. And if it's shaped differently, like a cone versus a ball, well, the cone's going to roll one way, the ball's going to roll the other way. And so how you're living does help determine how certain things are going to happen. And they talk about that determinism differently than did God cause this. Um, they're not trying to put that uh, divine responsibility on it. They're simply going like, we're constantly determining the world we live in. It's a kind of determinism. Um, and so we should be able to reflect on those things at least to make sense of what's going on, right? Um, and that can be, again, that can be part of the grieving process, though usually that's a little bit of a later, a later part. Um, Tracy said, I have heard people say the sins of a father are the reason bad things are happening to us. Are you just telling us that information, Tracy? Or um, I'm not sure how to respond to that. Which maybe you didn't. You were just telling us that information. You don't want a response, and that's fine. Maybe you could take that as determinism only a little bit farther on. The things, the choices that you make, may affect the things that happen with Landon and Torin and, and with Quinn. Oh, you know. But this is also, if we're going to use that determinism model, this is also why your suffering is something I share. Right. Because exactly. the decisions that I have made and that my fathers have made and the people who live around me have made also shape help determine the shape of the thing that's rolling down the hill. Yeah. Um, now I would also, Tracy, if you're talking about that from a, a biblical lens on that actual phrase that happens, I would say that that's what that's about. Um, and we talked about before in the 10 commandments of honor your father and your mother honor your parents and how a lot of that is about breaking the cycle that has been handed to you. And that's how you deal with the sins of the generations that have come before you. Um, so I think there's a, I, I do not like that phrase being used as a way to condemn certain things or certain people or to uh, participate in victim blaming. Um, I do think there's a way to go like, this is the world I've been handed. So uh, how do I break that? How do I stop that cycle? Mm -hmm. But it also has ramifications for what you brought up earlier, Tracy, which is, you know, my suffering is not really that much of a thing. It's our suffering that is experienced by specific individuals more heavily than others. Um, but kind of like with what Mike was saying, that now brings up that even I, who didn't, might not be experiencing the suffering, um, that I'm partly responsible too, at least in the capability and the potential of how this unfolds, where the story goes next. And I do think that's important in the language of theodicy of where's the story going? Um, and that's, that's part of the take we'll have in uh, week three. Um, Trisha said, I've also heard people say that the devil or the enemy or the evil one is causing suffering, especially recently with the virus. All right. So that is how many people want me to talk about that right now, about the devil's role in suffering. 
I'd go for that. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> I, I just have, I have a, a sense that that's something that people get excited about. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 let's just go. Just curious, yeah. what is it? What, I mean, when you talk um, about evil, I, I, now you're talking about again, do we have a transcendent God who is good? On the other hand, do we have a transcendent being who is also evil? you know, who is separate from us in some way and creates these things, which okay. again, you could blame the bad thing you did while well, the devil made me do it, you know, in, a, in an individual way. But yeah, even which sociopaths have done sure. a lot. And then, or collectively, again, we can say, well, you know, those, those people caused that hurricane to happen because they're those kind of people. And we yeah. won't, you know, one way or the other go there, but we know the people have done yeah, that. Yeah, so I am going to guess that most people who have been around the farmhouse long enough probably can guess where I'm going to land on that subject. Um, and that's not just my theological bias. There are very important philosophical reasons for why that is a problem. And if you say you believe in God, but you think that the devil or the enemy or the evil one causes suffering, then... I'm going to claim that you don't actually believe in God because I think those are mutually exclusive. That's my take um, generally. Now, we will actually get into this. And what I want to say about it is that, that that metaphysical assumption is absolutely convenient. And I want to honor that having that, what you just wrote, as an explanation makes sense that people would go like, Oh yeah, that's that, and it's the same reason why people love conspiracy theories. It's because it gives a very single, easy, packageable answer to a complex problem. As we just said, the devil did it. We all know that it's not that easy, and um, the reasons why it's a problem is because it flies in the face of providence. So as soon as you give that answer, you're also saying God's not all powerful. If you go, well, no, no, but God created the devil. Well, uh, now God's not good. <laughs> and uh, that's an issue. But also what it does, if the devil causes all of these things, you've also just said that free will is not a thing and that people are purely determined. I think Quinn just coughed. He's trying to get the comment. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> He's commenting on Sorry. of this idea. Sorry. He says, I choke on this. <laughs> I choke on this. Um, but but what, what it also does is it, is it compromises free will. Is because it says, nope, all of these are things are determined by something else. So everything you do, well, it's not actually you. It's the devil doing it. Or you have to come up with some way to figure out whether it was the devil or whether it was you. And um, that that gets bad and then you said yes my father always told us that all the sinners in california are going to cause an earthquake to make them fall into the ocean <laughs> my grandfather said that oh the sins of the fathers right tracy <laughs> uh no i don't i don't want to uh i don't want to uh sh offer any shame for my lineage but i disagree with that um not because I have a certain theology that doesn't like that. It's, I think there's philosophical problems with thinking that way. But can you see, just in that example, can you see why that would be convenient? Can you see why that would be a plausible way to interact with this? Because we're looking for answers, and that gives us one. I don't think it gives us a helpful one. I don't think if we, if we follow that to its, its end game, 
I don't think that gives us satisfaction theoretically and especially not practically. Um, and, and if it doesn't, I don't think that that's, that's something that God would, would, would ordain, you know? I could see that as a thing that caused suffering. Oh, I think when it, the people get blamed and then, you know, I was just reading a thing where a woman didn't, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, so, <laughs> yeah. so let's go ahead and wrap up here and, um, you know, keep this in, in your mind of we're going to explore a lot of the common theodicies next week. Um, and when we do, they're trying to answer God needs to be all powerful and all good while still explaining suffering. Um, and it'll, I, I hope after wrestling with this a little bit, seeing suffering within the whole person, um, seeing what proactive and reactive responses are to suffering, um, I hope you'll be able to kind of look at those and go, so does it accomplish that or not? Um, and then uh, if, if it doesn't accomplish that, then okay, now what do we do? What do we do about that? Um, so we'll, we'll kind of make that the setup for next week. And then next week we'll help set up like, okay, so how do we keep answering some of these questions to get theoretical satisfaction that also gives us practical, practical healing in the midst. Um, uh, that, that, that's all, that's all a, a part of the thing. Um, so I see a question about, or, or a, a comment about omniscience and a comment about the devil. I do not have time to sufficiently engage with those uh, in, in the moment right now, but hold on to those. Bring, let's bring those up next week. Um, and, and we'll keep going with, with this conversation um, because I do think this is so important. And if we can, if we can find some of this reasonableness that we're looking for, I think all of us are going to become much, much more effective at interacting with the world as it is, which involves suffering, like we're, we're in it, right? So let's do this right. Um, so that's what we're gonna do the next couple weeks. Please do keep an eye out for information regarding our return to this place. Um, in the meantime, we will continue to try to have um, some good liturgy, some good music, some good conversation um, until we get back. Um, Y'all wait to, put comments yeah, no, on until sudden. is it possible that the phrase God is good doesn't necessarily correlate with what we believe good is? Could there be as many? Yeah. Uh, Amanda, you're definitely correct. You do have to take time to determine what is good before you can try to explain satisfaction in, in relation to that goodness. Um, so what it means for God to be good, that will be part of the conversation that needs to happen uh, as we, as we go. All right, so um, I wish right now that we were all moving over into the dining room to make food and eat lunch together and jam with some music and hang out, but alas, we are not. You guys didn't even have your video on. How am I supposed to say hi to you all? <laughs> hi, Tracy. Hi, Peter. <laughs> well, next week, I'm turning my video off the entire time. And you guys can see how it feels. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I, I, I get it. I completely understand it. It's not a big deal. Um, so, uh, so let's keep going with this and let's keep in conversation. And um, I'm looking forward to how things are going to unfold once we're able to get back to being the kind of community that we have developed into.
um, I miss you all. Grace and peace be to you all um, as you go through this week, and we will see you next week. You don't see what happens here. <laughs>